0: Welcome to the Vertical Church podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. New year, new you. Everybody, take a big, deep breath in. It's got that new series smell, right? Uh-huh. Like I love, I love starting a, a, a new collection of messages, and that's what we're we're doing today. Um, how many of you are on Facebook? Like, raise your hand. You're on Facebook fairly regularly. You have an account. Okay, cool. Did you notice all of the posts? about what's your word for 2019. Did you do it? That, that I saw it one day I was just scrolling through, right? Like I was just, I was flipping through and it was like, my word, my word, my word. And and I thought, I don't have a word. <laughs> I gotta get me a word, right? But I'm, I'm more spiritual than you, so I'm not gonna do some Facebook algorithm <laughs> quiz to get a word for my year. I'm gonna go to the Lord, and so... Uh, I did something similar last year. In fact, last year, 2018, I didn't have a word. I had five words. And there were five things that the Lord told me, do these five things, and, and I did it. I wrote it down. I, I took I took Michael Dougherty's advice. I wrote it down, and I did it. It's just there's something powerful when you write down the word of the Lord, and you accomplish it, and it was awesome. And so I did that. But then I got to the end of last year, and everybody's talking about their word on Facebook, and I'm like, I don't have a word. And I started stressing out. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get a word. I gotta find a word. What's my word for 20, 2019? I don't, I don't have a word. And so, in the pressure, I settled on a word, and it was discipline. And I thought that's a good word. That sounds good. It's religious, right? Like, at every, no, you don't walk into a place and what's your word for the year? Discipline. Nobody says, well. Pfft. It's a weak word, right? No, it sounds good. I want I wanted to be disciplined physically. Like I go to the gym, I go to the Y most of the time. Like I go two, three times a week, maybe once, maybe not at all. So I thought I need to get disciplined. I need to get on a schedule and be disciplined about it. I want to be disciplined spiritually. You know, I, I, uh, I finished my, my, my reading plan before Christmas and and I, I'm just going to be honest with you, I know I'm a pastor, but I didn't start another one because I just wanted to celebrate that I had finished that one. <laughs> so I went a couple weeks without reading the Bible and, and like on a, on a plan, right? I read just, you know, verse of the day and that stuff. So I thought I got to get disciplined spiritually. I want to be disciplined in my leadership. And so I've got a list on Amazon of leadership books and, and different kinds of material that I want to read through because leaders are readers. And I want to make sure that, that I'm taking in the best of what of, of, of what the Lord has to offer. So I want to be disciplined about that. But I never felt settled. Like I, I thought, that's a good word, but I don't know if it's my word. And so then New Year's Eve came and I'm just sitting on my couch um, didn't have anything planned. We, we were just going to spend New Year's Eve at home and and relaxed and and just enjoy family time. And I'm sitting on my couch and just out of nowhere, it was like the Lord came into my living room and just dropped a word right in my in my heart. It was like, bam. And it actually became, I had a different message planned for today. We were going to, and we might talk about this next week. We're going to talk about how practice makes permanent. Have you ever heard the phrase practice makes perfect? That's a lie. (laughs) Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. We were going to talk about that today. But the Lord dropped this in my heart. And I said, well, I think that's my word. But I think that also might be a word for the church. I think that might be how we need to start this New series, New Year, New You, 2019 off. Now, I want to I kind of preface this all by saying, my word might not be your word, okay? So don't just copy my word and be like, well, that's my word for the year, because it might not be your word. But I do believe it's a word for our church. And so if you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first uh, 15, maybe 16 verses. We're really going to focus in on verses 13 to 14. That's where we're going to find the, the, the meat of the message today. So here we go. Let's start with verse 1 just to get ourselves a little bit of context uh, to what's happening here in the story. Uh, John says this. He says, therefore. When the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. John had to put that little parenthetical statement in there. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. Then John says this. He says he had to pass through Samaria. Now, you might not be a Bible scholar. I'm not either. I'm not a Bible scholar, and I'm not a geographical wizard. But I do know this much about the the terrain and the geography of Israel. Jesus didn't have to pass through Samaria. He didn't have to. In fact, most Jewish people would not pass through Samaria. They would go around. There, There were two ways to go from where Jesus was to where he wanted to go. One, one um, uh, option on Google Maps took him straight through Samaria, and it was the faster route. That was the one maybe that pulls up and it's like, yeah, I'll get that one. But have you ever noticed when you search for a place on Google Maps, it gives you the alternate route, and sometimes that alternate route takes like an extra 45 or 50 minutes, and it's like, why on earth do you think I want to go that way? I don't. I want to go the faster way because I'm all about getting there on, on time. But Jews, at that time, they didn't care. They wanted the alternate route around Samaria because Samaria was a rough place. Samaria was a place that if you traveled through it, you took the risk of getting robbed, of getting uh, of getting kidnapped of getting beat up, especially if you were a Jew, then you had all sorts of other things going on, cultural and religious prejudices and racism built into your, your worldview about Samaritans. So Jesus would have most likely gone around Samaria. He didn't have to go through. You would only go through if you were a Jewish person like Jesus if there was an emergency, if it was a time-sensitive journey that you had to get there at the right time and, and you you just kind of throw caution to the wind so you go through samaria. So already in verse 4 our our ears perk up a little bit like wait a second. He didn't have to go through samaria. He chose to go through samaria, but some reason this choice was absolutely necessary so that the uh, the, the the author of the gospel of John would say that he had had to go through Samaria. So it's a little bit curious. All right, so we're we're paying attention verse 5. So as Jesus is going through Samaria, he comes to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus being Wearied from his journey, and I love that John throws that in there because sometimes we like imagine Jesus floating about six inches off the ground the whole time and just kind of hovering from place to place, you know what I mean? And John says, no, 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 he was tired. Jesus got up early that morning, and he took this journey, and by the time he got to Sychar, he just wanted to sit down and rest his feet. He was weary from the journey. So he's sitting by the well, John tells us. And it's about the sixth hour, which for them, that would be about noontime. It's about 12 in the afternoon. Right in the middle of the day, Jesus just kind of sits down. And what we discover in, in a couple of verses is that when he sits down, the disciples go to the town to buy food. And so he's just sitting there. And it makes perfect sense. Like the well is where you're going to sit down. Because in a, in a in a landscape that's characterized by dryness, (laughs) in a place that they would call the wilderness, right? Like in in dry, arid, almost desert-like, you're looking for any place that offers fresh water. So if you were on a journey and you could kind of take a pit stop at a well, that was a good thing. You would kind of sit there and, and drink some water and recover. But wells, not only were they pit stops for travelers, but they were social gathering places. This is where the community would come and and gather, not really in the middle of the day, but in the cool of the morning, in the cool of the evening. The women would come out with their pots to fill their water, either either after the night or or in preparation for the night. uh, They would come and fill their pots. And so you would find a lot of people at the well. It was a social gathering place. It was a landmark on the journey to a different destination. So it makes perfect sense that Jesus stops at a well to kind of have a break, a little pit stop. But then look what happens. Verse 7, if you know the story, you already know what's coming. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Now, again, interesting. It's the middle of the day. This is not the typical time people go to get water. They go in the morning or the evening when it's cooler. They don't come in the heat of the day. So we read this and we're kind of like, what's going on? Like, who is this person, right? So she comes to draw water and Jesus says to her, he says, give me a drink. I'm thirsty. I've been I've been walking a long time. My feet hurt and I want a drink of water. Give me a drink of water because his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. And so Jesus is just sitting there, and this woman approaches. We don't know how long he sat there. We have no clue. Now, we would be wondering what Jesus has the luxury to just sit there and wait on her. Because if he had to go through Samaria, he must need to get to Galilee on time. So if you had to go through Samaria, why are you taking such a long time sitting at this well waiting on this person. Doesn't, John doesn't tell us how long he waited. And so this Samaritan woman comes and she asks him for a drink, which is already weird because, because at that time, women and men, Jewish, Jewish men didn't talk to just like strange women, but she's also a Samaritan. So again, that's another layer of oddness about this story because Jews considered, let's just put it this way, Jews when it comes to Samaritans, they were racist, okay? They didn't like them. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. It was it was religious. It was ethnic. It was a whole cultural thing. But Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. And it, and it tells us that later on in verse 9. And what's interesting about Jesus, because Jesus always does this. Je- Jesus's trajectory is always away from religious protocol and prejudices and, and and reasons to cast people out of our presence, and it's always toward people loved by God. This is the way Jesus operates in our lives and in the lives of, of this woman. He's always moving away from our our protocol, our the way it's always been done, and he's moving toward showing uh, people who are far from God the love of God the Father. In other words, Jesus will intentionally seek out people that we intentionally ignore. I don't know if you have a list. I have a list. All of us have a list in our minds of people that we intentionally ignore. It might be the person that sits beside of you in school that cracks their knuckles too loud and it just gets on your nerves. It might be the person who who in the break room, they, they bring the tuna fish sandwich every day and it stinks up the whole place. I intentionally ignore those people. I don't want to sit with you at your table because you stink, because your your, your sandwich is smelly, right? Like we have these people that we intentionally ignore. Maybe your list is a lot more, you know, rough than my list, okay? Like that's my list, but, but maybe your list is different. But we all have these people we intentionally ignore, and Jesus is always intentionally seeking out those people. Who was this woman? John doesn't even tell us her name. He doesn't even, he he just calls her this Samaritan woman. We don't even know who she is, but we know she's extremely important in the heart of God. We know that she's so important that Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had an appointment with her at this well. We We don't know her name. We know very little about her. We know what she does right after this encounter with Jesus, but we don't really know with any degree of certainty, what she does with the rest of her life. But she's so important, so significant to the heart of the Father that he doesn't go around Samaria. He goes through. He adjusts his entire travel schedule for her. Verse 9, she responds. She says, She says, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She's surprised. What? Why are you even talking to me? You're not supposed to talk to me. Didn't you Didn't you see the report on the news about how the Samaritans beat up that Jewish guy? You're not supposed to to engage me in conversation. So she's surprised, but she's probably also a little bit suspicious. What we come to find out in her story is that uh, she. We, we, we see this later on. She's, she's been married to five different men. She's living with a guy right now that's not her husband. We don't know why, okay? We don't know why. We don't know if she's promiscuous, a serial killer, or just the worst person's luck ever, right? Like, did she leave all five guys and live with a man? We don't know. Did she kill them? We don't know. Did they all just die for some reason? We don't know. All we know is that when Jesus says, give me a drink, she's already been through five relationships. She's living with a guy that's not her husband. So she might be a little bit suspicious. What do you want from me? Why are you talking to me? Do you? Most men, when they talk to me, they're asking for something else. And here's a man asking for a drink. What, What else do you want? But Jesus is a different kind of God. Jesus never asks something from you when his intention isn't to give something to you. And that's what happens in this story. Let's keep on going. Verse 10. <clears throat> Jesus answered to her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Do you have anybody in your life who they, they give off that air of arrogance, and it's kind of like, don't you know who I am? Do you, do you have anybody in your life that's like that? Like, I do. They, they get on my nerves. It's like, I'm so important. It, it's this It's this spirit of pride. It's this arrogance that's just like in them that, that like when they, they're like, the way they talk to people, it's like, don't you know who I am? I am really important. I'm a big deal Now I've never met anybody Who had the legitimacy To be able to talk like that But if anybody did It would be Jesus <laughs> And that's kind of what he's saying If you knew who I was If you knew the gift of God And the person talking to you Woman don't you know Who I am, except Jesus doesn't have an ounce of of pride or arrogance in that statement. He's actually just revealing something to her. Don't you know who I am? But then Jesus does this thing that he does so often, and it's difficult to keep track of sometimes. He starts mixing the metaphors around. Jesus will do this, man. He'll be talking about like a fig tree and then he's not actually talking about the fig tree. He's talking about something else. He's talking about, you know, he's talking about rocks, but he's not really talking about rocks. And in this situation, he's talking about water, but he's not really talking about water. You know what I'm saying? Like he starts flipping around the metaphors. He, he he's he's talking about living water and to them living water would have been flowing water, but he's not really talking. He's sitting in a well, but he's not really talking about the well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Look, look how she, she responds. She says, she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. Now, Paul's right there. Anytime you start a statement directed towards Jesus and say, you have nothing, you're wrong. <laughs> Jesus is in need of nothing. He has everything for every situation that you and I will ever come in contact with. So she's already wrong, but let's just hear her out. You have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? In other words, let me let me kind of give that to you in the way I would say it, if I was the woman. I would say, Jesus, how can you get me water? You don't have a bucket. You, you, don't, you don't have a bucket. How are you going to get water out of this well? You don't have a bucket to, to, to lower down into the well to get anything out. She's completely dumbfounded. She didn't get the memo about the metaphors being switched around. So she's thinking, water, well, how are you going to get it? You don't have a bucket. All she could see in the situation is Jesus doesn't have a bucket. So what? Now you want to borrow my bucket, Jesus? Is that what you need? Is that why you're asking me for a drink of water? Because you forgot to plan ahead and be, be prepared and now you need a bucket? And you want my bucket? And now, I, well, I want Jesus to be like, woman, I don't need your bucket. I am the well. That's what I want Jesus to do. I don't need your bucket. Don't you know who I am? I am the well. You came to the well with a bucket and you met a well who doesn't need a bucket. Because I'm the well. That's what I want Jesus to do. You don't need a bucket when you're the, the well. Jesus has just flipped all the metaphors and he's turned the well into a teaching illustration. He's phenomenal. Jesus is awesome. But I think, much like the woman, much like the Samaritan woman, I think when we come into a new year, we're so focused on the bucket it's like it's like we start creating new year's resolutions. And all they are are our statements about the new buckets we gotta get. We go. I need a better bucket. I gotta get me a better bucket. And, and we look at our relationship and it's like, well, my, my I, I need a new wife. That bucket just ain't cutting it anymore. This year I gotta I gotta find me a, a new bucket, a prettier bucket. That bucket's got a few dings on it. So so this year I'm gonna find me a new marriage bucket. Or we, or we look at our, our physical selves in the mirror and we're like, I need a smaller bucket. <laughs> <laughs> I need a bucket. It's about 5, 10, 20 pounds lighter. I need a smaller bucket. I need oh a different 30. bucket. I need a, we look at our career. We look at our finances. We look at our, our end of the year statement on our bank account and it's like, Lord, I need a bigger bucket. There we go. I need a, and we, it's, like, it's like we enter into a new year and we're all focused on the bucket. I need a I need a I need a new bucket. I need a I need a better bucket. I need a bigger bucket. I like big buckets and I cannot lie. I need a bucket. But the bucket isn't the problem. Okay. It, it, it's not about the bucket. Right. That that's what Jesus shows us. It's not about the bucket. Our lives are empty. Our hearts are thirsty, and it's not because we don't have the right bucket, it's because we're standing at the wrong well. There we go. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Amen. That's right, you can clap. Say amen. I preach better than amen. you do. I feel, I feel alone up here by myself. We treat church like a bucket. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amen. I come to church, I got my bucket. Fill me up, Pastor. <laughs> Fill me up, Pastor Hope. Sing that song I like. I need a good, I need my bucket to be full when I leave. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amen. Wait, wait, wait. That church isn't filling my bucket up like it used to. I guess I gotta get a different bucket. uh I gotta find a different bucket. I'm sorry, Pastor, but but the church just doesn't have what my bucket needs right now. So I gotta gotta change out the buckets. Listen, if church is the only time you got the water flowing in your life, that's your problem. Amen. Amen. You don't need a new bucket. The bucket's not the problem. The problem is the well you're drawing from. So what's the solution? Jesus tells us in the next verse, look at this. He answers her verse 13. Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. You keep running around trying to find the right bucket for your life. You're always going to be thirsty. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. Look at this. This is, this is where we're going to drill down. But the water that I that, that I will give him will become in him a well of water. You're running around with your bucket trying to get your bucket full so you can go back home and then you use all the water in the bucket and then you're thirsty until you come back to church and you get the, the bucket. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you will drink from the water I give you, it will become in... In you, a well of water, springing up to eternal life. So when we come to the well that is Jesus, God the Holy Spirit digs a well in us. See, Jesus didn't come to Samaria to fill the woman's bucket. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't make his way to Samaria to, to switch out her bucket, but to introduce her to a well that would dig a well in her. Yes. And if we keep reading the story, we discover that the well that gets dug in her flows out of her and transforms her, her whole city, her whole town. Because the world doesn't need more buckets. It doesn't. Right now at this time of the year, everybody's trying to change out the buckets. The world doesn't need more buckets. The, the world needs walking, talking wells, reservoirs of grace full of the Holy Spirit that's overflowing with love and power and flowing into our communities. So here's the question that I want I want to kick off 2019, first week, new year, new you. what's the one answer you got to come up with? Here's the question. What's in you? Jesus said the water I give you will become in you a well. So is there anything in you? I want a new year. I want a, I want a, I want a, new, a new life. New year, new you. You know how you have a new you? You have something in you that comes out of you. But here's what I've discovered. We cannot give what we do not have. Let me give you an example of that. If I'm walking around, uh, you know, I don't know, walking around the mall or something, and I'm walking through the food court, and like I usually do, I have no cash on hand, only cards, uh, and, and Apple Pay on my phone. Somebody comes up to me and says, I have nothing. Would you please just I just I just need a few dollars cash to buy my lunch? I have nothing in me to give. So I look at them and say, I'm so sorry, but I have nothing to give. But if I've got 20, 30, 40 dollars in my wallet, I can't say that I don't have. Because it's in me. Because I'm aware of what I have in me. Okay. So, so he, he, here's the thing. If the Spirit of God is in you, then he's, he's in you and he expects you to to invade the impossible situations in your life in his name. Because, check this out, the Holy Spirit is the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the grave. Yeah. And so if he raised the dead and he's living in you, Amen. then what makes you think he made that well in you except to flow out of you? Yeah, yeah. And the problem isn't a lack of water. This is where the Lord hit me on New Year's Eve. And he said, this is what your year is all about. And I said, well, that sounds like a word for the church too. And he said, it is, but it's a word for you. <laughs> the problem is that too often we are shallow wells that promise more than we provide. We're saved, but we're shallow. I am so sorry for preaching this hard word to you on the first Sunday of the year. I wish I had something to really get you pumped up and and excited. We're saved, but we're shallow. We're walking around a world that's in need of something real and authentic. And we can tell them about Jesus, but we don't have anything in us to give. Because the well has not been dug in us so that the water can flow out of us do we have anything in us to offer people who are in need of something real and authentic more than goosebumps more than a philosophy of religion more than an inspirational facebook post that we that we share that somebody else shared and if we don't is it because though we have not dug the well deep enough into the heart of God to where we strike water and it becomes a spring of eternal life. That's what the Lord Lord told me as I'm sitting on my couch, just not even really paying attention to him. He said, dig deep. I said, what? He said, this year, you got to dig deep. You got to go deeper than you've ever gone. You got to dig. You got to dig it out. He said, Can you dig it? <laughs> he said, can you dig it? Can, can y'all dig it? Can you dig it? So, what if we get people to the well? So, what if we get people to come here? Who cares if we break 200, 300, 400, if we don't have anything of substance to offer them when they get here? If we're saved but shallow, does it matter? It's not transforming. It's just an entertainment. It's something to do between 4 and 6 o'clock in the afternoon or whenever God opens up the door and we move into our own facility and we have two or three worship experiences. I'm just speaking prophetically. I don't know. <laughs> if we don't have anything in the well, if we don't have something that will work in the trial. If we don't don't have something that that after the failure, after the failed marriage, after the failed parenting experience, after the failed business venture, after the moral failure, if we don't have something that works in the chaos and confusion when their mind is going 90 miles an hour just spinning inside, if we don't have anything that can offer real peace, who cares? It doesn't matter how many people we gather around. If the well is shallow, because they're just going to be as depressed as you are. (laughs) They're just going to be as jacked up as you are, as I am. So what do we got to do? We got to dig deep. And here's what I discovered as I opened up the Bible and started reading this. If we'll dig the well, people will ask for the water. That's what, and and the Lord kind of just revealed this to me. He's like, you've been so focused on trying to get people to the well. And I want people to come to the well. But son, if you'll dig the well deep, they'll come and ask you for the water. I said, where does it say that, Jesus? And he took me, verse 15. The woman said to him, Jesus just said, the water I give you will become in you a well springing up with eternal life. She says, sir, give me this water. Now, she, she goes on and she says, so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. So she's still working out some of the, the theology. She didn't have it all worked out, but she's getting there. She's on the right trajectory. So we got to dig deep. And when we dig deep, people will show up and ask for the water. They'll, show, they'll, they'll ask for it. Hey, give me some of this water. Give me some, whatever you got, give it to me. And then when we have it in us, it'll flow out of us. So how do we dig deep? We dig deep in prayer. Exactly what Pastor Brian was saying during, during, during that the interlude time. I don't even know what to call it. During that intermission time, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we give up something we love for something we love more. And we, and we get alone with God in prayer. And if you can't make it 7 o'clock to a prayer night, you clear 7 o'clock on your, uh, on your calendar and you say, I don't care where I'm at, but at this time I'm going to pray because i got to dig deep. Come on. I gotta dig deep. That's what that's what this whole season and fasting is about. It's about digging deep. It's it's determining I'm gonna dig deep in worship. I'm not gonna come to church and let the first two or three songs be sung until finally you know I get the junk off the well and I and I, and I free up some stuff inside. I'm gonna come ready to worship as soon as they start the first song. I'm not gonna wait for Pastor Hope to welcome everybody. I'm just gonna be there ready to worship because I'm going. Deep. I'm, I'm digging it deep. I'm digging deep into fellowship with God. I'm tapping into the very heart of God. I'm getting connected in discipleship tracks. I'm making room for nights of worship. I'm going, I'm going deep. I'm digging deep. Now, deep isn't weird. Deep does not mean you gotta be weird. Weird is weird. Deep is deep. Don't mix the metaphor. But last thing, deep is also not always comfortable. Just check this out. While Jesus is digging a well in you, he might have to dig some things out of you. Look what happens, verse 16. He says to her, go, call your husband and come here. If you know the story, you know that's already a sensitive issue. Jesus finds the most sensitive thing in her life and he puts his finger on it right after she says, give me that water. I want a drink. I want to. I want a well dug in me. I want to go deep, Jesus. Jesus is okay. If I'm going to dig in you, there's something i got to dig out of you. Mm-hmm. And he puts his finger on it. Listen, it's not always comfortable to let the Lord dig deep into your life because Jesus will meet you right where you are. But so often he'll take the conversation deeper than you plan. That's okay. Yeah. Y- your response to him is dig it out. <laughs> dig it out, Jesus. Dig it out because if you read her story, I want to encourage you, go ahead, go home, read the rest of John chapter 4. Start with verse 17 and just keep going because, because Jesus is digging something out of her because he's about to release an overflow in her life. And the same is true for you and me. Jesus will never dig something out that he doesn't intend to pour something in. If he's digging something out of your life, it's because his intention is to pour something back into it. And when he pours it back in, it's going to overflow to all the people around you. That's exactly what happens in her life. So 2019, week one, new year, new you. What's my word for the year? It's not one word, it's two words. It's dig deep. It's dig deep. It's dig deep. Can you dig it? We can dig it. (laughs) <laughs> it's deep deep Listen friend I have no idea what 2019 holds for you I don't know I don't know what you're going to encounter I don't know the kind of peace that you're going to need I don't know the kind of wisdom That's going to have to be given to you To make decisions in life And business and family I don't know I don't know how much comfort you're going to need to receive I don't know how much comfort you're going to need to give But I do know this The only option if you want to have it available to you when you need it, is to dig deep into the Spirit of God and let it, let, let it overflow. It says, I love it because it says it dig a well that's springing forth. The Holy Spirit becomes like a natural spring bubbling and overflowing. Your only option in life is to have a reservoir overflowing with the Spirit of God. So here's, here's the last thing I'm going to say and then I'm going to pray and we're going to be wrapped up. Because... Because here's the action step: dig it out, <laughs> dig deep, show up for prayer, show up for fasting. We got resources on the website verticalchurch.tv/resources. We tell you how to fast, we show you how to pray. We got devotional on devotional on devotional. There's no reason you don't have any resources for 21 days of prayer and fasting. Here we go. Here's here, 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 you heard the old Chinese proverb: the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. I'm going to change it. The best time to dig a well was 20 years ago. It would be great to to rewind time and dig the well that you need today for the water that you need right now. But we can't do that. But here's what we can do. We can dig that well today. We can start digging. We can determine that I'm going to hold a shovel in my hand every day this year and I'm going to dig deep into the heart of God. I'm going to dig deep And in my prayer life, I'm going to dig deep into the word of God until it becomes alive in me and overflowing with eternal life. Let me pray for you this morning, this afternoon, evening, whatever it is. (laughs) Lord, thank you, God, so much for meeting with us here. Uh, Lord, we know that your word says that anytime two or three of us gather together, you're there. And so the fact of your presence being here is is, um, you're true to your word. You're going to be here. But just because you're going to be here doesn't mean I have to approach it with any less amount of gratitude for you showing up. God, I thank you for being here. And Lord, as challenging as this might be, as, as awakening as this might be, Lord, I pray that we take this word to heart, that we dig deep. Lord, Lord, I invite you, Holy Spirit, right now, you're, you're the, the spirit of creativity is birthing ideas of how how you're going to dig deep this year in your mind right now. He's he's showing you uh, Bible plans that you're going to read, books of the Bible that you need to read, books that you need to to order off of Amazon to, to, to come alongside of you and encourage your walk with Christ. How are you going to dig deep? Holy Spirit, show us faithfully. Reveal to us. How we can dig deep. And Lord, when they when, when it comes, when, when, when you're digging in our lives and we hit a rock that needs to be dug out, Lord, before we even get there, right now, would you, would you just tell him? Like if, if, if as if as the Lord is digging something in your life, he hits something that needs to come out, would you just let him know before he ever gets there, Lord, dig it out? Just tell him. Lord, you don't need my permission, but you you got it. You don't need me to, to, to step aside because you could just do it if you wanted, but you're not like that. So God, I, I tell you before you ever come into something in my life that needs to be removed, my response to you, God, is to dig it out. Dig it out. If you've got to put your finger on the most sensitive area of my heart for me to burst forth with eternal life, then dig it out. Let that be your approach to the Lord. Let that be your disposition to him. Dig it out, Lord. Whatever you got to dig out of my life. I want the spring to flow. I want the water to flow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.